to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this is The Friedman Report. Well, my friends, it's good to be back on the air with you. This past week has been so full of news, and for the first time in a long while, the lead stories are not about COVID-19. Here's what they are about. Just as the reopening of America was about to begin, the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, ripped open old wounds in the worst possible way. Rioting broke out in cities across the country, and not surprisingly, it was not the locals making all the trouble. Once again, funded by George Soros, outside agitators from gangs and groups like Antifa tore up the streets in major cities all over the country. They looted stores and burned down cars and buildings and beat up the people protecting their life's work. So it looks like it's going to be a long, hot summer. We'll talk about that. And in a related subject, what do you do with looters who come from somewhere else to destroy your city, your neighborhood, your livelihood? I'll tell you what I think in just a bit. And then, speaking of tearing things up, that got lost in the chaos of the riots here in America. It's about how China decided to tear up its 50-year treaty with Great Britain regarding Hong Kong after only 20 years. President Trump has responded by dramatically changing Hong Kong's favored status while warning travelers of new dangers if they go there, and a lot more than that. And we haven't begun to talk about the subject that has consumed us for the last four months, COVID-19. There's more news on that as well. And then, in a new first for America, Elon Musk's SpaceX launched its Falcon 9 rocket into space from the Kennedy Space Center with two NASA astronauts on board en route to the International Space Station. It was the first manned spaceflight lifting off from the United States since 2011 and the first time ever that a private company has sent astronauts into orbit. And here's a question we'll talk about a little bit later, maybe at the end. Do you remember when we had movie stars who could really act and we didn't know what their political opinions were and we didn't care? So there's a lot to talk about. Let's get right into it. The biggest story today, and the one that has been consuming our attention, actually began more than a week ago, on Monday, May 25th, in Minneapolis. According to the surveillance video, George Floyd was sitting in his car when two Minneapolis police officers approached him. What happened next is murky, but this much is clear. Floyd got out of his car, was handcuffed, and at some point he was pushed to the ground and killed by a cop who pinned him down by putting his knee on Floyd's neck and holding it there for nearly nine minutes. And although Floyd cried out that he could not breathe and begged the cop not to kill him, the cop did not remove his knee and continued to apply pressure to Floyd's neck. Bystanders also shouted at the cop to get off him but he ignored them. And his fellow cops, there were three of them, just stood by and did nothing to stop him. It was a vicious display of power and a total lack of compassion and human kindness. 
A video shows it all, including the smug expression on the cop's face as he looks up without taking any pressure off Floyd's neck. And by the time he finally lifted his knee, after nearly nine minutes, and the EMS arrived, George Floyd was dead. The four officers, they were fired that same day, and the officer in the center of this was charged with third-degree murder and manslaughter four days later. In the meantime, but in those four days, nationwide demonstrations were organized that were intended to be cathartic. They were peaceful marches and demonstrations that were intended to memorialize the life and death of George Floyd. At the same time, an orgy of destruction by well-organized gangs of thugs and criminals started to develop. There are no words to express the outrage and anger that I and millions of people like me feel over this cold-blooded murder of a man who only minutes before his death was just sitting in his car. Early reports said that he was arrested on suspicion that he had something to do with a counterfeit $20 bill. A shopkeeper had said that Floyd had tried to buy a pack of cigarettes when he passed the bill. But passing a counterfeit bill is not a capital offense. Even if the storekeeper's claims were true, George Floyd should never have died because of it. How many of us might pass such a bill when we make a purchase without even knowing that the bill was counterfeit? George Floyd's death is a bloody stain on America's police and a reflection of the larger issue of where our country is headed. And it's not a pretty picture. I have one more bone to pick. The media has been showing a video of George Floyd on the ground with the cop's knee on his neck. And they show it every time they tell the story. Look, my friends, this is a video of a man dying. And it is, in my humble opinion, enormously disrespectful and ghoulish even to keep airing that video in which we have to watch George Floyd die over and over again on national television. Enough is enough already. Let the poor man rest in peace. Okay, back to the story. I've talked a lot on the Friedman Report about the divisions that the angry rhetoric that has taken over this country is causing. And I've warned more than once that it could lead to a bloody civil war if we don't make a concerted effort to turn it around. What we're seeing today is not a civil war, not yet, but it is the beginning of an insurrection. And we had better recognize it for what it is. What began as a peaceful expression of outrage and anger at an awful crime that should never have happened, that has been hijacked. In the beginning, there was a well-deserved outcry that one man, a black man, died under the knee of another, a white cop, for no reason. And this murder was the trigger for peaceful demonstrations in which people came together to voice their respectful sorrow over the senseless death of this one man.
But the fiery riots that followed in cities all around the country for over a week, they were something else. Which brings me to a few observations. By and large, the real demonstrations, the honest and heartfelt ones, the relatively peaceful ones, were all by people who were justifiably outraged by George Floyd's murder, but were also committed to an appropriate response, a peaceful response. And these are good signs. There were vigils and prayers, and in several cities, the police joined the demonstrators in taking a knee to honor George Floyd. It was a moment to be proud of, a reflection of the American character and belief in our system. But there are other dynamics at play here as well, and they are not pretty. In fact, they're pretty ugly, because aside from peaceful demonstrations, there were others that were anything but peaceful, and they weren't just demonstrations. They were riots. And this is where the original tragedy, the brutal death of George Floyd, is overshadowed by something much more sinister, something that has nothing to do with the murder of George Floyd, but it has everything to do with the threat of savagery and lawlessness that is sweeping our cities and attacking our nation. Here's the point. These acts of vandalism and wholesale destruction are not random. They are well organized and they are intended to sow chaos in an already unstable situation. It has to do with a ruthless ideology, anarchy, and a political agenda that is as dangerous to America as any that we have faced before. It is part of an effort to change the very soul of America into something it was never meant to be, into the very thing it was not meant to be. Every day since Floyd's murder, people have come from outside the communities. In some cases, they have recruited people inside the community. And they have gone on the rampage that we have already seen to destroy, to burn, to loot, and to attack the police and the local residents. In one city, teenage boys were given bricks by young men who told them to throw them at the police. There are photographs of young men in black clothing wearing masks and carrying sledgehammers on their backs and guns in their belts. The sledgehammers are shiny clean, brand new, and so are their backpacks. These men didn't come to demonstrate peacefully. They came to smash and loot and destroy. And then in some cities, suddenly pallets of bricks and piles of large rocks appeared at strategic points in the targeted cities. The thugs and the looters who descended on cities all around the country within hours of George Floyd's murder, they came prepared. They came to steal and to destroy. They came to overwhelm the police and create chaos. And what did they steal? What did they destroy? In addition to breaking the windows of national chains like Target and CVS, which had damage to hundreds of their stores, and in addition to stealing merchandise with impunity, they broke into little mom-and-pop stores that the local communities depend on, the little pharmacies and restaurants and convenience stores. They stole everything worth taking and destroyed the rest. In Minneapolis alone, they raided a police station, 
and set it on fire, destroying the records required for due process and everything else. And they burned down an affordable housing complex under construction that would have provided homes for 189 families. They smashed and torched police vehicles and the cars belonging to people who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is not about race, my friends. This is not about this is not about righting a wrong and it's not about retribution. It's simply about destruction. It's about power. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Corboy Bala is a black firefighter who invested his life savings into opening a sports bar in Minneapolis. It was his dream. He originally planned to open his bar in March, but he had to put those plans on hold when the coronavirus crisis made stay at home the order of the day. Finally, Bala was given the green light to open his bar on June 1st. But on Thursday night, May 28th, his dreams went up in smoke because that Thursday night, Bala's bar was broken into and set on fire. And in the morning, his life's work and all of his savings were a little more than a pile of bricks. Bala was reduced to tears. He had lost everything. And even as he and his wife were standing in front of what had been their bar, the vandals broke into it again in broad daylight and tried to steal their safe. There are two groups of people out there. There are demonstrators, protesters, who march peacefully, chant and shout and pray and kneel and then go home. Then there are the rioters, the destroyers, the anarchists who torch whole sections of your city, steal what they can and destroy what they cannot steal. They're not protesters. They're not demonstrators. Many of them are professional agitators and chances are most of them probably don't live in your neighborhood or maybe even your state. They are loosely affiliated with Antifa or other similar organizations, and they are paid to create violence and spread anarchy. They are organized by very wealthy groups who pay for their travel and maybe for their bail if they're arrested. We'll talk more about this after the break, but for now, let's just talk about their MO, their method of operation. They show up in town with the tools of their trade. They come carrying the sledgehammers on their backs, flammable liquids in their cars, and brass knuckles on their fists. They bring two-by-fours and incendiary devices. They come with the will to create chaos and with instructions and a playbook to do just as much damage as they possibly can. And as we saw Monday night in New York City, they travel in small groups like flocks of vicious crows descending on a location, tearing through it, stealing what they can, destroying what they can't, and then running away like the cowards that they are to the next place. The police, who were vastly outnumbered in Manhattan on Monday night, they just couldn't keep up. So these young hoodlums broke into Macy's, and they scampered up and down Fifth Avenue, and they tagged St. Patrick's Cathedral. These men are not ideologues, although many of them embrace anarchy. Some of them are just opportunists who are happy to make a fast buck and wreak havoc on other people and who simply don't care about the consequences. 
The mainstream media fails to differentiate between protesters and rioters, between demonstrators and anarchists, just like they refuse to differentiate between legal and illegal immigrants. In their reportage, they're all called immigrants, making no distinction between those who came into this country through legal channels and those who entered illegally without documents and without permission. Likewise, the left-wing press refuses to differentiate between peaceful demonstrators and violent anarchists. They won't condemn the actions of looters and arsonists. They call them all demonstrators when the looters are really thugs and delinquents. Now, I have to take a short break, but I'll be right back. And when I come back, I'm going to continue this and talk about not just what has happened in these cities, these distressful riots, but I want to talk about what is behind them and what they're really all about. So don't go away. I'll be right back. What if a new treatment backed by 17,000 scientific articles was proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance? What would you pay for even the smallest dose of this treatment? The good news is you don't have to pay anything because these are just some of the benefits of a full night of quality sleep. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Until now, most sleep aids haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM Sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's Healthy, C-E-L-L slash sleep. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Well, as we celebrate our four-year anniversary, thank you for making it all possible. We are a grassroots movement of patriots, blogs, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We are the vision of the voices America Out Loud Talk Radio. Break, we were talking about the packs of hoodlums and criminals who have descended on our major cities and wreaked havoc in all of them. They have perpetuated acts of violence upon law-abiding citizens against the shopkeepers trying to protect their little stores that they spent their lives building against companies as large as Target and as small as the mom-and-pop convenience store around the corner. And in the cities where the destruction is the worst, the authorities have not allowed the police to do their jobs. And the response has been lenient and what New York's Mayor de Blasio calls delivered with a, quote, light touch, unquote. This is uttered nonsense. And as we have seen already, New York City with an 11 o'clock curfew that was almost as bad as no curfew at all, was devastated with destruction in one night of wild and unchecked looting. The city was not prepared. 
The city's main centers and landmarks, Times Square, Herald Square, St. Patrick's Cathedral, Soho, and Macy's Landmark Store, and on and on, were trashed, looted, defaced, and destroyed. And so, the next night and the next, the willful destruction will continue as long as the will to stop it is suppressed or just isn't there. It would all have ended much sooner if the powers that be in cities like Los Angeles, New York, and Minneapolis would have identified the threat early and dealt with it firmly from the beginning. I knew about it. I'm telling you about it now. But nobody asked me. Dealing firmly means giving law enforcement the legal authority and the necessary force to apprehend and arrest these thugs and cart them off to jail in large numbers. It means committing enough manpower, all the local police assets available, sheriff's deputies from local and neighboring communities, and every law enforcement department, whatever is necessary. And it means bringing in the National Guard and all the equipment that is available, including mobile command centers, helicopters, drones, or whatever other means of keeping the peace is around and available, enough to overpower the agitators. It means apprehending the rioters, stopping the offenders in the process of looting, or committing arson, or throwing bricks and rocks, or attacking residents who are trying to protect their property. It means arresting them, putting them in jail, without bail, pending trial. The more people a city or state can apprehend in the process of looting, the faster it will stop. It's simply a matter of deterrence. If the looters see that they cannot succeed, if they see that so many of their comrades are being arrested and carted off to jail, they will likely want to discontinue the exercise, no matter how well they've been paid. But it takes manpower and the will to stop the destruction in its tracks. Even though the media fails to differentiate between protesters and rioters, I can tell you that the designation of terrorist organization that the president announced on June 1st, that gives law enforcement the upper hand with better tools and stronger penalties for what is looking more and more like an insurrection rather than a riot. In a comment about the chaos that descended on New York City on Sunday night, and in particular about the disturbing attack on Macy's flagship store on 34th Street, Rachel Olding said, quote, hundreds of looters and rioters here with absolutely no concern about cops being here, unquote. Well, there weren't any. Not till later. The packs of young men broke into Macy's and ran in and out of the store, loaded down with stolen goods, without any concern about being arrested. Now, on the morning following Sunday evening's riots in New York, Macy's CEO, Jeff Gannett, made a statement in which he suggested that the store's, quote, long history of having a workforce that is diverse as the many communities we serve, as though that explained a misunderstanding that the looters had when they ransacked his store. He missed the point entirely. There was no misunderstanding. These weren't peaceful demonstrators in the streets of Manhattan 
who misunderstood that Macy's was on their side, those peaceful demonstrators had already gone home. This is not about race. And it's not about civil rights and fairness. It's about power, and it's about anarchy, and it's about taking control away from the supporters of law and order. And it's about fundamentally changing America. The looting is part of a well-designed program whose whole purpose is to take advantage of this emotional crisis and create chaos in an already traumatic situation. George Soros is famous for this, and he has done it many times before. He hides behind the curtains of a vast and complex network of organizations, but he was behind the riots in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014, and in Baltimore in 2015, and most notably in the Occupy Wall Street movement in 2011, although he denies it all. My best guess is that he's behind this as well, hiding behind that incredibly complex network of organizations that make up his empire. The Occupy Wall Street movement was moderately nonviolent by today's standard. It was considered an effective exercise that laid the groundwork for future demonstrations. But future demonstrations would not be so calm, and the one now in progress is anything but. So where do these hoodlums come from? Were they from the cities and towns that they were hell-bent to destroy? Were they looting the stores of their neighbors? Were they burning the cars of their friends? Not likely. And how do we know? Well, we know from several sources, and they largely agree with each other. For one thing, and this is something that can be seen by anybody who is able to survey the damage and the graffiti that the marauders leave behind. These hooligans like to leave their mark, not only in the destruction itself, but in the tags they leave behind on the walls of the buildings they destroy. They spray paint their tags to identify that they were here, that they were the ones who take credit for the destruction. And here's another thing, and it's a big thing. Most of these vandals are being paid for what they're doing. They've been sent to cities across the country to loot, destroy, and create mayhem in every city they go to. And if you look at the patterns of behavior in each city that they attack, they're the same. The mob of what looks like a flock of angry crows attack, loot, and burn, and then rush to the next target. This is the mark of Antifa and other anarchist organizations. How do I know this? Well, the U.S. military has been tracking Antifa for some time, so they know how this organization works. They know, for example, that Antifa has received arms, money, and direction not only from George Soros's Open Society Foundations and the huge network of organizations that Soros supports, but also from Chinese and Iranian operatives. They also receive support from Mexican drug cartels with Chinese connections. They are directly and indirectly connected to the evil that we have been fighting for many years. Antifa uses the dark web to organize mobile crime sprees in high-value locations. It operates under the cover of widespread community demonstrations, always poised to take advantage of a sudden crisis and sow disorder and violence. 
It was ready when George Floyd died, and the American people said, enough. So how does it work? Well, Antifa is a virtual organization, seemingly without leaders, that includes in its operations the procurement and distribution of weapons and explosives. And it uses operational tactics that are intended to divide and weaken police assets. They instruct their followers on how to infiltrate protests and demonstrations and how to become so threatening that they tie up the greatest number of law enforcement assets. And while they're doing that, other groups of dedicated looters and arsonists are moving rapidly from target to target. It is not inconsequential, therefore, that on May 31st, President Trump designated Antifa as a domestic terrorist organization. This declaration allows the president to pursue every aspect of this toxic organization's operations, including its methods, its sources of funding, how it plans and executes its activities, and much, much more. And it gives the government the full force of law to rein them in. Terrorists require supporters, recruits, safe havens, money, supplies, weapons, and intelligence on how local government and law enforcement are operating. A robust insurgency can be waged with the support of just a small percentage of any given population. Back in 2011, then Soros-funded demonstrators took over Zuccotti Park in Lower Manhattan. That was the first Occupy location. Their demonstration represented what they called the struggle between the wealth of Wall Street and the relative poverty of mainstream Americans. It was a kind of mini-insurrection, and it was replicated in cities around the country. The 33,000-square-foot park was ironically created in 1968 by U.S. Steel and was operated by Goldman Sachs and Brookfield Properties. But this public park was used for months, and the demonstrators who camped out there trashed large portions of the city's public space in and around it. They set up their tents and shelters in the park and simply took it over. They overflowed into the adjoining streets and became a major nuisance to the surrounding neighborhoods, as well as a nightmare of sanitation and a rapid destruction to one of the city's most popular parks. And this went on for months. In order to fill out the roles of demonstrators to make their statement, Soros' organizations recruited agitators with ads on Craigslist.com, offering willing demonstrators and participants $350 to $650 a week to, quote, fight to hold Wall Street accountable, unquote. Similar ads appeared in Boston and in other cities around the country. But there was some sense of law and order in all of this, and there was almost no violence. Today, the methods have changed, and organized resistance has become organized chaos, planned, implemented according to an anarchist playbook, and designed to bring down first the icons of American civilization, and then its infrastructure. And in June 2020, in the cities where the destruction is the worst, the authorities have not allowed the police to do their jobs. De Blasio is, in fact, one of the worst mayors in the country. He was unprepared for the riots, although we all knew they were coming. 
He refused to let the police do their job, ordering them to use, as I said, a light touch on what he called demonstrators. He refused to declare a meaningful curfew on Sunday until the very, very last minute when he finally ordered one at 11 o'clock after most of the damage had already been done. New York with an 11 o'clock curfew was like having no curfew at all. And the city was devastated by destruction in one night of wild and unchecked looting. And as I said before, one of the most shocking things of that evening was that many of the city's famous landmarks, Times Square, Herald Square, St. Patrick's Cathedral, and the famous stores that bring tourists from all over the world, they were all trashed, looted, defaced, and destroyed. Even Governor Cuomo found fault. He's the one who was responsible for the nursing home scandal in which he forced New York's nursing homes to accept active COVID-19 patients. This resulted in the unnecessary deaths of several thousands of vulnerable citizens and chronically ill residents. Of course, he blamed that on President Trump, so it was no surprise that Cuomo was appalled at de Blasio's ineptitude. He'll blame anything on anyone else. It's great when you can blame a disaster on someone else. He called de Blasio's handling of the riots a disgrace. He said that the mayor underestimates the scope of the problem and how long it will last if nothing is done to stop it. He said, quote, you have 38,000 NYPD people. It is the largest police department in the United States of America. Use 38,000 people and protect property. Use the police, protect property and people. Look at the videos. It was a disgrace, unquote. He even talked about displacing the mayor and bringing in the National Guard. But he also said, quote, we're not at that point yet, unquote. Really? Talk about ineptitude. What in the world was he waiting for? He needed to call in the National Guard immediately. He should have called them in sooner. The wanton looting and destruction of some of New York City's icons was devastating. But then it got political. It turns out that President Trump had already offered to send in the National Guard to help restore order. But Cuomo refused his offer. He didn't want to take anything from President Trump. So he'd rather, it seems, let New York City burn than accept help from the president to save Manhattan. These two knuckleheads can blame each other all they want, but on a scale of 1 to 10, both Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio fail with a minus 15. They both let New York down, and they played an integral part in the chaos and wanton destruction that occurred in New York City on Sunday night. If New Yorkers don't vote these two idiots out of office in the next election, they deserve whatever they get. My friends, this is not rocket science. The willful destruction will continue as long as the will to stop it is suppressed or just isn't there. It would have all ended much sooner if the powers that be in cities like Los Angeles, New York, and Minneapolis would have identified the threat early and dealt with it firmly from the beginning. The more rioters a city or state can apprehend in the process of looting, the faster it will stop. But it will take two things sufficient manpower, and the will to stop the destruction in its tracks. New York City has the manpower, 
but it's their leaders who lack the will and I think the moral courage to do what is necessary to stop the violence. The peaceful demonstrations that we've been seeing every day in the cities all around the country have been spontaneous and are meant to make a difference so that what happened to George Floyd won't ever happen again. But the chaos of the looting in broad daylight, the destruction of public and private property, the burning of churches and family-owned stores and national chains, and the beating of peaceful demonstrators, there is nothing spontaneous about this. These are organized operations following an anarchist playbook and meant to create enough chaos that they will lead to fundamental societal change in America. Now I have to take another quick break, but when I come back, we'll come right back to this subject and finish it up. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Last January, in an opinion piece in the Washington Times by Cheryl K. Chumley. She wrote, quote, George Soros is 89 years old, and by gosh, before he dies, he's going to see to the internal destruction of America, unquote. And the riots we've been seeing this week are an essential part of that plan. George Soros has been an agitator and a disruptor since his childhood in Nazi Hungary, where he helped to deliver deportation notices to Hungarian Jews and watched as their possessions were confiscated by the Nazis. He has said that the time that he spent under German occupation in Hungary as, quote, probably the happiest year of my life, unquote. He saw the suffering of his Jewish compatriots. He even participated in it but he didn't feel it. What does that tell us about the man? The organization he founded, Open Society Foundations, has distributed huge amounts of money to radical left-wing organizations since its founding in 1993. As of April 2020, the Open Society Foundation's total assets amounted to $15.2 billion, and each year it awards millions of dollars in grants to organizations that promote the world views and objectives that are consistent with those of George Soros. Among the most well-known of these are the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, the National Council of La Raza, the NAACP, Human Rights Watch, ABC, Columbia School of Journalism, the New York Times, NPR, the Washington Post, the Arab American Institute, Planned Parenthood, Common Cause, MoveOn.org, the Sierra Club, ACORN, EMILY's List, the Women's March on Washington, the Southern Poverty Law Center, 
BDS, and many, many more. Open Society Foundations, as the Washington Times puts it, quote, emboldened the grassroots, on-the-ground activists in Ferguson, unquote, and helped lead the anti-police protests that followed. I reported that at the time, and then again when riots erupted in Baltimore a year later, his hand was behind the arrival of hooligans from several gangs and anarchist groups. And although he denies it, he always denies it, there is ample evidence to indicate that among the recipients of his largesse and his guidance are Black Lives Matter and Antifa. So, on Sunday, when President Trump declared Antifa to be a domestic terrorist organization, even though the media had failed to differentiate between protesters and rioters, I can tell you with certainty that the designation of terrorist to an organization gives law enforcement the upper hand with better tools and stronger penalties for what is looking more and more like an insurrection rather than a riot. It's clear that the looting that took place this past week was organized to create chaos, and it has been doing more than that. It has turned the cities into war zones and the deeply felt hurt over the killing of George Floyd into a looting spree in cities around the country. And it has pushed many families who have already lost almost everything from the virus into even deeper despair. The little mom and pop stores that line the streets in most cities have been hit the hardest. White owned, black owned, it makes no difference to the marauders. In fact, the whole point is that the chaos is colorblind, as we have seen in cities from Minneapolis, where this all started last Monday, to New York City, to Los Angeles, and Seattle. And the people who thought they were finally coming out of the lockdowns caused by the pandemic and back to some semblance of normal, black and white alike, people like Corbai Bala in, in Minneapolis, who lost so much already, are now facing complete ruin as they see their life savings and their only source of income destroyed by thugs. We still have a lot to learn about how to deal with this organized and well-planned chaos that is designed to destroy the America we love. We've seen it before in Los Angeles, in Boston, in Newark, and this latest is far from over. What we need is strong, durable leadership at the state level and a strong and sufficiently staffed resistance to the lawlessness that has taken over our cities. The nightly riots will eventually end, but the consequences of these riots are likely to live on for a very long time. And one more note that just came in from a reliable source who reported that George Soros is on the run, in hiding, in Europe. Hiding from an open warrant for supporting a domestic terrorist network in the U.S. Stay tuned. If true, it will be a big story. We'll talk more about this on future shows. But for right now, I have one more story that I want to share with you. I said earlier that what happened to George Floyd should never happen again. We should learn from this. And yet, on Sunday, May 31st, and only six days after the killing of George Floyd, 
a Seattle cop put his knee on the neck of a looter who had just been apprehended. A crowd started shouting, Take your knee off his neck! Take your knee off! And another cop actually grabbed his knee and took it off the suspect's neck. Slow learner? Really? Does he watch the news? Is he even awake? You just can't make this stuff up. Now, here's a completely new topic. We've talked a lot on this show about Hong Kong. We've followed the demonstrations when the people of Hong Kong demanded the freedom that was promised to them when the British returned the protectorate back to China in 1997. And we talked about it when the first coronaviruses appeared there. It was the first time that this mysterious virus had shown up outside of China. And it was the first item on that week's Friedman Report on January 15th. So here we are, and the Chinese are about to break another treaty. The people of Hong Kong were promised 50 years of autonomy in a free market economy. It has been only 23 years, and China is now taking Hong Kong back to its communist fold. Hong Kong's promised freedoms are about to be gone. I had the opportunity to visit Hong Kong once a year before the handover, and I spent three wonderful days there before moving on to Zhuhai to give a speech. It was an extraordinary city, Hong Kong, bustling during the day with shops bursting with merchandise and wonderful restaurants, and at night sparkling with the bright lights of a vibrant city. Now the lights will dim, at least figuratively, when China turns off the light of freedom and forces the people of Hong Kong to live under the yoke of communism. We all know China by now. The communist government can't be trusted to keep their side of any bargain. They cheat, they lie, and they have broken their trust again, this time to the people of Hong Kong. It's crazy, really. Hong Kong's economy rivals that of most Western countries. It's home to the fourth largest stock exchange in the world, and anyone with a grain of sense would recognize the value of holding on what makes that work. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But the Chinese communist government isn't anyone, and the thing they want most is power as much as possible. So whatever they perceive that stands in their way, it's dispensable. The question is, will China kill the goose that laid the golden egg? The people of Hong Kong are angry and they feel betrayed. They are demanding that China adhere to the agreement it signed with the United Kingdom back in 1997. This agreement ended Britain's 99-year lease of Hong Kong and returned the colony back to China, but on the condition that the former British colony would remain autonomous for another 50 years. British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher signed it. And so did Chinese Premier Zhao Ziyang. Personal freedom has been a way of life for the people of Hong Kong under British rule, and Britain demanded that this be preserved to them as the price for returning the colony to China. But even back then, the people of Hong Kong were suspicious. Many of the wealthier citizens took their money and moved to Vancouver, Canada, in order not to fall prey to Chinese deceit. In fact, so many of them moved to Vancouver 
that the running joke was that the first language of the Canadian province had become Mandarin. Now, according to China's agreement with Great Britain, Hong Kong was guaranteed political and civil autonomy under the one country, two systems framework that had been in place since the 1980s. And this arrangement was supposed to last at least through the year 2047. That framework acknowledged the rule of communism in mainland China, but ensured political autonomy and a free market economy in Hong Kong without interference from China. Well, not anymore. We should have known better. In June 2017, which was also the 20th anniversary of the handover, China announced that the agreement between UK and China that guaranteed Hong Kong's legal autonomy had, quote, no practical significance, unquote. And then, last week, the fear became a reality when it was announced that a bill was being drafted to, quote, establish and improve the legal system and enforcement mechanism for safeguarding the national security in the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region, unquote. The wording of that bill, as it was written, was ominous. And the bill was passed into law on May 28th. Now it is law. It's called the National Security Law, and it allows the central government, the Chinese Communist government, to set up relevant national security bases in Hong Kong. China's daunting military force, which has been kept out of Hong Kong until now, will have a legal presence in Hong Kong. According to the state-run news outlet Xinhua, this law will end the existing one country, two systems framework, which will no longer be supported by the Chinese government. China has made it clear, in fact, that the autonomy which Hong Kong has enjoyed since the China-UK agreement and the free market systems that have enriched the protectorate will now all be subject to mainland China laws and the police force of China. This spells a death knell for the formerly free people of Hong Kong and for their free market economy. When this was first announced, Britain was silent, and I wondered what, if anything, they would do. What could they do? Well, just this week, Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced a remarkable response. He announced in the Times of London that if China imposes the new security law, Britain is ready to open its doors to 285 million Hong Kong citizens. He said that this would be one of the biggest changes in the history of the British visa system. It would effectively upgrade the status of British national passports, which are held by 350,000 Hong Kongers, and make such passports also available for 2.5 million more who are eligible to apply for one. He said, if China imposes its national security law, the British government will change our immigration rules and allow any holder of these passports from Hong Kong to come to the UK for a renewable period of 12 months and be given further immigration rights, including the right to work, which could place them on a route to citizenship. Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab reinforced the Prime Minister's promise. He told China 
that they still had time to reconsider their next move. He said, quote, There is a moment for China to step back from the brink and respect Hong Kong's autonomy and respect China's own international obligations. Unquote. What happens next is anyone's guess. China's next move is uncertain. Will China's quest for power trump China's word? China's not happy with this move. In fact, it represents a new wrinkle in their already troubled relationship with Great Britain. But if China stays true to character, the police and maybe the military will come down hard in Hong Kong to reinforce the decision. So the sides are being drawn. Stay tuned, my friends. This is far from over. Now, we talked about Andrew Cuomo before and about his poor performance as governor of New York. The COVID-19 numbers in the United States are still going up at the rate of about 20,000 a day, and they've already exceeded 1.8 million cases confirmed. More than 106,000 people have died from the virus. But the state with the highest numbers, no surprise here, is New York, whose governor has made an abysmal show of bad management. First, he demanded 30,000 ventilators, which he said he needed desperately. And when he received only 4,000 ventilators, he complained bitterly. But by mid-April, Cuomo announced, on the ventilators, we've stabilized our health care situation, and he announced that he would be sending 100 ventilators to Michigan and 50 ventilators to Maryland. And when the president sent... The USNS Comfort, the largest hospital ship in the world, with a 1,000 beds and a 1,200-person crew and medical staff, to New York Harbor, and then outfitted the Jacob Javits Center with another 2,500 beds, neither of these facilities were ever filled to capacity, not even close. When the Comfort left New York at the end of April, with a 1,000 beds, remember, it had treated only 182 patients. And the field hospital, the Javits Convention Center, that was set up to receive 2,500 patients, never even came close. So instead, the governor sent COVID-19 patients from hospital directly into nursing homes, where they infected healthy residents, elderly men and women who were considered most vulnerable. And when the nursing homes pleaded for those infected patients to be sent to the empty hospital ship or the Javits Center, they were told that only hospitals could send COVID-19 patients there. In the end, by May 5th, nearly 5,000 nursing home residents had died from the coronavirus, most after Cuomo's edict requiring the nursing homes to admit or readmit COVID-19 patients. Governor Cuomo may well go down as the worst governor New York State has ever had. In fact, if there were a contest as to whether Cuomo or de Blasio is the worst public executive, it would be difficult to name a loser. As I said before, if the people of New York don't vote them out in the next election, they deserve what they get. Well, you know, the clock has run out, and I still have more stories. So some of the things I promised to tell you today will have to wait till next week. So have a good week. Stay safe, stay well. You've been listening to the News Magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this has been The Friedman Report.